Sit down if you can. Wow, thank you, worship team, for leading us into God's presence that way and reminding us of the worthiness of this Jesus that we worship and whom we gather here for. If you missed the announcement at the beginning, we are having now a children's time beginning at the beginning of each service. So if you'd like to take your child over right now, uh, there, is, uh, there are uh, children's church activities going on for them in the children's building as we start a new season uh, here in the fall. We're starting a new sermon series today called Ignite. I hope that you'll get fired up about it. You see what I did there? Um, Ignite is about igniting our passion, reigniting our focus, ourselves, getting on fire for this Jesus that we just sang uh, so, so passionately about, uh, remembering that God can make all the difference in our lives because there's nothing he can't do. Uh, next Sunday, Pastor Julio is going to bring kind of an overview of this whole series, uh, but today I get to start with the first part. Uh, the series is going to have six G's over six weeks, uh, each sermon starting with the letter G, and I get to begin today uh, with the beginning, which is the gospel, uh, which is where we root and ground ourselves in. The Ignite series will touch on what is God's vision for us uh, here at Calvary, what is the strategies that God is giving us to make disciples, um, and so each of these G's will touch on that vision and strategy. Uh, but today we're going to start with that first G called the gospel, and let's just dive right in. You may have heard the question, where were you when? Right, that question we often ask when something significant has happened, some news-shattering event that everybody hears about and you immediately remember where you were when you heard that news. My parents and grandparents, I remember them talking about they knew where they were on November 22nd, 1963 when JFK had been assassinated. I remember where I was on January 26th, 1986, when the Challenger space shuttle exploded. Of course, all of us in this generation remember where we were on 9-11-2001. More recently, we could probably remember where you were when you first heard that COVID was causing lockdowns sometime in March of 2020, and you weren't gonna be going back to work, you weren't gonna be going back to school, and you know that everything changed in that moment. And so these new shattering events catch our attention, but where did this begin? And possibly one of the very first times in American history that people ask the question, where were you when, goes all the way back to June 29th, 1852. At that time, the church bells began to toll across Washington, D.C., and people took note of it because normally the church bells would ring on the hour to let people know what time it was, but occasionally they would also ring at a different time to let people know that something significant had happened. On June 29th, 1852, the bells rang at 11.17 a.m. to let everybody know that Henry Clay was dead. Only a few years before that, this kind of news would have taken days or even weeks to be spread across the country along horse-driven postal routes and river barges. But in 1852, a recent innovation known as a telegraph made it possible for news to travel within minutes. Now, why was Henry Clay's so, death so significant that people actually noted the time when that had happened? Henry Clay was a U.S. Senator from Kentucky. 
He was a speaker of the house for, for also a long time in his career. He ran for president five times and lost five times, but hey, at least he tried, right? Uh, Henry, Clay, Craig, Henry Clay, let me try that again. Uh, you may remember faintly in your American history, maybe seventh or eighth grade, was known as the great compromiser because he was able as a congressman to help the union maintain a delicate balance between the North and the South with those tense, tense issues of slavery and the economy going on at that time. And this union itself would fall apart less than 10 years after Henry Clay's passing. He was one that was helping to keep it together in a very difficult time until the Civil War came. He was such a respected person from both sides that he was the first American to lie in state at the, at the U.S. Capitol. This means to have a burial with honors there in the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol. Nobody had done that before him, and it would be 13 years before the next American would lie in state in the U.S. Capitol. That would be Abraham Lincoln. So how do I know so much about Henry Clay? You might say, oh, he paid really close attention in seventh grade. Actually, no, I have a personal interest in this because Henry Clay was one of my great, great, great ancestors on my mother's side, whose maiden name is Sue Clay. And a family relative had done all this research in history and connected it to that. And as a new spread of Henry Clay's death, people noted the time because they were significantly impacted and perhaps because they also sensed that with his passing, the union itself would probably collapse in the near future. The point is that news affects us. Uh, news impacts us. And today it travels faster than ever. You can watch news as it happens. You don't even have to wait for someone to tell you. In fact, we have a term for that in today's world. It's called breaking news, right? It breaks into your day. It interrupts your day. But I wonder if it's also called breaking news because it can be so heavy. It can be so hard. It's, it's so difficult with all the breaking news. It breaks us in some ways. Uh, most of what we hear today is bad news. Just in the last couple of weeks, we've had just story after story of the bad news that's coming out of Afghanistan. We've had bad news upon bad news for the people of Haiti. We continue to have bad news along the border and the challenges we have and migrants have as well. We continue to have bad news on that thing called COVID, right, with the Delta variant and who knows what else is coming after that. We have bad news and, and simple things that used to be so easy, like flight delays. You get flight delays now like it's normal lunchtime. We also have bad news when it comes to personal loss, personal tragedy. You've had those moments, right, where breaking news was very personal. Uh, maybe it didn't make the major news networks, but it struck deeply into your heart when you heard of that loss or that tragedy or that diagnosis. But you know, what's interesting is as bad as the world seems to be getting worse and worse, it really hasn't changed that much because 2,000 years ago, the world was in bad shape, especially along the Eastern Mediterranean where Israel is now located, the crossroads of the world where all the nations would interact. The Roman Empire had been in control and they had oppressed freedom for so many people for centuries now. And also for the people of Israel, faith had been choked out by religious structures that weighed heavily. Bad news has been part of humanity since the beginning of time. So it's not necessarily getting worse, but in that time, 2,000 years ago, when bad news was going on, when bad news was normal, entered 
Jesus. It's like that phrase in the Bible that says, but God. This is bad, but God. So Jesus entered the world 2,000 years ago. He enters the scene. He enters a world full of bad news in terrible shape, and the world would finally catch a break. The world would finally get a breath of fresh air. His coming, the the coming of Jesus and what he would do became known by one word. It became known by the word gospel. And you know what's beautiful about that word gospel is it literally means good news. Into a world that was full of bad news all the time comes Jesus and his life is known as the gospel, the good news. So we want to look at this morning, what is the good news and does it matter to us today? Does it still make a difference in our lives today? We're going to look at three Bible verses. Two of them are in Mark chapter 1, for those of you who like to be ready. One of them is in Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at what is the gospel and how does it affect us today. First, we're going to look at Mark 1, 1. First verse, first chapter in the gospel of Mark. It says that the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It's a very simple introduction. He starts off the letter by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And from that, we draw this point that the good news is about Jesus. First and foremost, the good news is about Jesus. Now, you may know the stories, you may remember what it is, but we're just gonna recap kind of the five main facts of Jesus's life, his redemptive journey, his redemptive work here in the world and why it's good news. The first is that Jesus came. Jesus actually came and that's good news because he chose to show up in person, in the flesh. And that is a beautiful thing about our God. Our God is someone who comes near. He doesn't stay far away at a safe distance. He's not afraid of leprosy or COVID or whatever. He's not afraid of our sin. God is someone who comes near. And Jesus did that. Jesus came. Secondly, Jesus lived. I find it fascinating that Jesus didn't just kind of set up shop and say, hey, everybody, here's what you need to know. And I'm going to now do the rest of my work and then I'll see you later. But Jesus actually lived a life among us. He lived a life worth imitating. He lived a life so that he could relate to us in every facet of our lives, even in temptation. He lived in humanity and he experienced humanity so that he could also show us the way to live. So he could show humanity what does it mean to be a human who walks with God and who walks with others who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus modeled a life for us. He wasn't just some religious teacher with a standard too high to achieve, but he lived among us as a model. And then after Jesus lived, he died. He died and was buried. And that's good news. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that when Jesus died, our sin and the punishment for our sin and the guilt and shame of all the bad things we've done as humanity were put upon Jesus that he would absorb the penalty of our sin. And the good news continues in that Jesus didn't just die, but he resurrected. He resurrected, which is good news for us because that means we also will have a resurrected future. We will come to life again. And our story doesn't end after 70, 80, 90 years on this planet. But Jesus resurrected and he will reform and remake heaven and earth forever. And the the fifth fact that we see about Jesus's life is that he ascended. 
He ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Father where he rules and he reigns and before him every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And if he ascended, that means he's coming back just like he promised that he would. Uh, This is a recap of the redemptive work that Jesus did and why it's good news. And I hope you find something true in that for you of why this is good news for us. But let's look at more because the gospel, the good news is about Jesus but then the, the, the Bible tells us more about what this good news looks like and what it's for and, and how it touches our lives. Matthew 9, verse 35. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. It's a very simple verse but it shows us three very powerful things. First, it shows us that the good news is for everyone, everywhere, and it touches everything. The good news is for everyone, everywhere, and it touches everything. Let's look at those one at a time. The good news is for everyone. Jesus wanted to go to every town and village. He didn't want anybody to miss the opportunity to know and understand the good news. So he shared it with everyone. He even shared it with people that others didn't, didn't think they deserved to share, to hear the good news. He shared it with a Samaritan woman, even though she had a very shady past. Jesus shared the good news with her. He shared it with a tax collector, the kind of people in society that everybody despised and that often cheated their own people. He shared the gospel with rough, unschooled, ordinary fishermen who probably had foul mouths and foul odor and foul attitudes. And Jesus shared the good news with them. He even shared it with Pharisees, with his own uh, sworn enemies, the religious rulers of the time. He even shared the gospel with them. Remember Nicodemus? One of the Pharisees comes to him at night secretly because he's not sure about Jesus and he wants to know. And Jesus shares with him. He doesn't turn him away. But Jesus wants to make sure that we understand that the good news is for everyone, that the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the gift of Jesus is for everyone, even if it's someone that you don't think deserves it or who I may not think or who we might think is too unworthy. Maybe you think that's you. Maybe you think you're too unworthy. And Jesus makes it clear, story after story, example after example, that the good news is for everyone. It's, it's like saying that the gospel is also the great equalizer. It's for everyone and it includes everyone. Uh, Horace Mann is a pioneer of American public schools in the 19th century and he famously coined the term that education was the great equalizer of the condition of humanity. And as much as that is true, the gospel is even more so in that it doesn't matter what your background is, it, matter, it doesn't matter what you've done or not done. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're equal before God like anybody else. The gospel unites people of distinct and even of conflicting backgrounds like nothing else can. You know, this world is looking for places to find unity. This world is desperate for unity, but we can't find it amongst ourselves because eventually we see something in one another that we don't like. And we're not good at forming unity, especially if we come from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different languages. But the good news is able to unite humanity in a way that nothing else can. I personally witnessed this. Uh, Some of you know my family and I were um, 
uh, part of an international church. I pastored an international church in Tbilisi, Georgia, over on the other side of the world. And in that international church, we had people from about 25 different nationalities coming together, even different backgrounds, different religious experiences, different Christian expressions. But we were able to come together and find what united us, all of us, all of us being foreigners in a strange land. And when you have that kind of sense of common experience, you're able to put aside some of the things that divide you and focus on what unites us in Christ. It was a beautiful experience, but one of the specific things that stands out in my mind the most is we had a group of Indian medical students. And every year we loved as a church to pray for these students who graduated and would send them off back to India to complete their studies. We would pray for them, commission them. Well, this one year, we had a young intern on our, on our preaching staff, teaching staff, and he was from Pakistan. Now, if you know anything about that part of the world, Pakistan and India are sworn enemies. In fact, they've developed nuclear programs just aimed at one another because they despise each other as nations. And yet in the church, we had a Pakistani young man praying and weeping and praying blessing over Indian students because the gospel unites us like nothing else can. And we saw it across many different divides. We saw Americans and Russians coming together. One of my best friends in Georgia is of Russian descent. The gospel can unite even, even Democrats and Republicans, believe it or not. We could actually find unity in the gospel if we're willing to find that common ground in the good news that Jesus offers. He says it's for everyone. And no one should be deprived of the good news because we are all equally unworthy. But not only is the good news for everyone, it's, it's for everywhere. And this kind of goes with that same truth. But Jesus modeled this. He went to every town and village that he could. And then he mandated his church to take that good news and share it everywhere uh, to the ends of the earth. So Jesus went to every town and village and he commanded us to go to every nation, every ethnic, every neighborhood, every tribe, every tongue. Now people look at that in the Great Commission and say, oh yeah, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So Jerusalem is where I live, so I'm just gonna focus on Jerusalem because until my Jerusalem is met, then I, I can't think about these other places. Well, that's maybe a good strategy, but it's not necessarily what Jesus meant. Right? The disciples were not from Jerusalem. It just happened to be where they were when Jesus gave them this commandment. They were from Galilee and other parts of the region. And so Jesus isn't saying, you know, focus on your home and whenever there's enough good news in your home, then you can start thinking about other people. No, Jesus said, hey, this good news should go everywhere at all times. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And the disciples began to live that. They began to slowly spread out and take this good news everywhere they could possibly go. It's been a privilege to be part of Calvary. This is my second time around. I don't know if everybody knows that. I was here on staff in the early 2000s, and then for 2010 to 2020, the Lord took us other places, and now we're back. And being part of Calvary is such a blessing for me because one of the things that marks this church is that we're committed to making sure good news goes everywhere. Now, we haven't taken it everywhere necessarily. There's still places in the world that still need it. But we've been part of so much good news spreading all around the world. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. We've witnessed that and the power and the effect that it could have. In fact, recently I looked at my United app and it says that in my lifetime, I've accumulated over 250,000 miles. 
That's a lot of air travel. And a lot of that was with Calvary, making sure that we could have good news all around the world. There's still a lot of work to do, but God invites us, God reminds us to be people who think about, you know, that this good news is for everyone and this good news is for everywhere. And this third point we see here in Matthew 9.35, I want you to catch this. The good news touches everything. It can and it should impact everything. Where do we see this? You see here that it says that Jesus went to every town and village proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, we, we are used to Jesus' stories, right? We know that Jesus healed, he walked on water, he turned water into wine, he did all these things. And we just know that that was part of what Jesus did because he did miracles. But what we maybe not think about when we don't understand is that this act of healing really caught people's attention in the early days. Because in ancient times, the holy did not come close to the unholy. Uh, the divine didn't want to touch anything that was physical because people viewed the physical as being broken, as being decayed, as being dirty. And the divine should not touch those things according to other religions and other thinking. But God did. Jesus did. Jesus was willing to touch us where we are at because this God is different than anything else that's ever been proclaimed in humanity. It says that Jesus came and dwelt among us and he touched everyone. And that means he can touch everything. And the good news of that is that he can bring transformation to every area of your life. You see, when he touched the, the sick and he was willing to be among them and heal diseases, it wasn't just Jesus showing his power, his miraculous power. It was showing how much God cares about the very basic things of our lives. You know, we all know that even if you experience a miracle because of the way the world works, you're still going to die at some point in your life. No miracle has caused someone to live forever, Right? But what we see in the power of Jesus by him touching the sick and healing the sick is that he says, I care and I want to touch every area of your life, even that part of your life that the world says is decayed, broken, or dirty. I want to touch that part and transform it and bring good news into it. So what is it? Is it maybe strained relationships with family or in marriages that you think, ah, oh, you know, God doesn't care or God can't touch that or it's too far from God. No, the good news touches everything. Uh, maybe it's just different things in your life. Maybe it's, it's anxiety or fear or pain. And you think, ah, oh, God can't touch that, can he? Or we live as if he can't. Here's the good news, people. God can touch anxiety and, and give us peace and give us calm and strength that we can't find in ourselves. God can touch our fear. God can touch our pain and meet us there in a way that nobody else and nothing else can. Uh, for me, it's been important to learn that the ways of Jesus are practical and we can actually apply them. It's not just some high teaching that you learn in church and then like think, well, that's nice, but who can actually do it? No, Jesus gives us very practical advice. One of the things that has often helped me through my life is Matthew 6, It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things you need and you care about and you're worried about, all these other things will be added unto you. In other words, seek God first 
and let him show you how he's going to take care of the rest. Let him guide you. Uh, let him care for you. And you know, oftentimes I've had to use that verse to recenter myself because, and, and, and I literally try to do it. What's the first thing I do when I get up? You know, because it's so easy for the first thing we do when we wake up to check our social media, right? Or to check our sports scores or to check our work. Maybe some of us like to check our email and those are all good things. It's fine. But for me, seek first the kingdom means when I first wake up, my first conscious thought is how can I meet with Jesus? What does God want to say to me today? It's a very practical thing, but it helps to reorient my life around the things that Jesus wants me to focus on. Another one is John 10, 10, where Jesus said, the enemy, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. First of all, that's good advice to know. We have an enemy. We have an enemy, the dark one, Satan, and powers of darkness that want to steal, kill, and destroy. And he often does it through deception. Through deception by saying, hey, you don't need all that religious Jesus stuff. You, you just find your own way. Do your own thing. Please and live for yourself. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus wasn't finished with that. He said, but... I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have life abundantly. Wow, what does it mean that Jesus wants us to have an abundant life? I want to walk with him and know him in such a way that I avoid the destruction of the evil one and I learn the goodness of God. So the question here is, have you allowed the good news to touch every area of your life? Today, what is it that you want him to touch. Maybe that you've thought, oh, he wouldn't care about this or he wouldn't dare touch that. He's saying to us today, he wants the good news to touch everything. The gospel is for everyone, everywhere, and it touches everything. And the third thing we'll see here about the good news is in Mark chapter one, verse 15. Jesus now speaking himself, he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is declaring himself. He's saying, look, I am here. And that means that the, the kingdom, which is the rule and reign of God, which means that if you submit yourself to Jesus, he can begin to rule and reign in you as a loving savior, as a loving God. But you must repent and believe this good news. Repent means to turn around, right? To keep going from our own way, from our own path and thinking to receive Jesus's thinking and Jesus's way and say, Lord, I want to walk in that. Jesus invites us. This is where he makes it personal. He invites you and me. He says, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God wants to touch your life. And it also tells us here that the good news is present in you. Right? Repent and believe the good news means that the kingdom of God begins to demonstrate itself in our lives. If you've repented and believed, the good news is present in you. Look at Colossians 1, 26 and 27. They're on the screen. It says, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations is now revealed to his saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the nations the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ is in you. You carry good news. That's one of the things about knowing that Jesus ascended is when he ascended, he left his spirit and he gave his spirit to us so that we would be carriers of good news just like he was. But you know what that means is it means that 
the good news is present tense. It's present in you because it's present tense. The good news is not just a one-time decision in your past when you said, oh yeah, a long time ago I prayed to ask Jesus to be my savior. The good news is not just a one-time decision in your past. It's not just a future promise that's waiting for heaven. That's not just what the good news is. The good news is present tense. It is now, it is at work in you, it is at work through you. As strongly as it was at first and as surely as it will be in the age to come. But do you believe it? Do you believe that the good news is in you and is at work through you? It's at work through you and I for two things. One, it's at work so that we can touch hard to reach places so that we can be present in hard to reach places. We've already talked about Afghanistan and you know, that's a very hard to reach place, but we happen to have connections through individuals here at Calvary and people on the ground that when all this started to happen, even before it started to happen actually, we were already mobilizing some things to respond to what was coming. And that's because when you, when you give to Calvary, your, your regular tithes and offerings help us do that kind of thing. Help us be ready to respond when the moment requires. Now, on top of that, when something like this crisis unfolds, we also then create special opportunities. So on our website and on Facebook page, on our Facebook page, you can find links to give directly to our partners that are working in Afghanistan and in Haiti. Uh, through the Huerta family, we have a connection in Haiti and again, through the special links, if you want to give to respond to that, it's one of the ways in which we can be present in faraway places uh, through key people who are trying to be good news in very hard to reach places. But you know, for most of us, we may be able to do that, but we, know, we may not be able to actually go and be good news there. But all of us can be present as good news in ordinary spaces. Uh, wherever you go, once you leave this place, after we gather, we are sent uh, to go into all of our different ordinary spaces. And do you know that God cares about those spaces as much as he does about Afghanistan or Haiti or any other place in the world or situation in the world? He cares about the ordinary spaces that you go into every day, your workplace, your family, your schools. Uh, one of the most beautiful books I've read in recent recent years is called The Economics of Neighborly Love. And the author unfolds how one of the best ways we can love our neighbor is by giving jobs, creating jobs, because it meets such a deep need in the human soul. Now in America, we kind of take jobs for granted sometimes. There's so many and, and so many different varieties of them. But in other parts of the world, like in Georgia where we were, I could not sit in one taxi ride without eventually the conversation getting to jobs. Every taxi driver who maybe had an engineering background or a healthcare professional background or a business background couldn't find jobs in that area, so they were driving taxis. And, and they would talk about just how they would just long to see better jobs. Um, there's very simple ways, simple things we can do uh, to be good news to those around us. Here locally with the migrant crisis, we've had people who almost every day have gone to the respite center to feed people. Every day, can you imagine that? Can you imagine the risk that they put themselves at with COVID out there and, and the time and the sacrifice that it takes? Just in ordinary spaces, people saying, I just want to be good news in whatever way I possibly can. But what about you? 
uh, where you go tomorrow, where you go tonight, where you go the rest of this week, do you know that God wants you to be good news, be present in those places, and to make an impact? Uh, today at the end of the service, uh, Pastor Susan's going to pray for our children, our students, and our educators and those who work in the field of education because we want to commission you. We want to not only pray for protection over you, but we want to commission you that you would go empowered as being representatives of good news uh, in the schools uh, in a very, very trying and difficult time. So God calls us to, first of all, remember that the good news is about Jesus. Uh, whenever you want to remember good news, come back to Jesus and, and remember and start there. The good news is for everyone, everywhere, and it touches everything. Allow Jesus to touch every area of your life and, and to bring good news into those hard places. And the last thing is that good news is present in hard to reach places and in ordinary spaces. And it's, in, and it's present because you're there and Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Dear God, I, I thank you that your word is written for us to know who you are and what you did and what you said uh, and to encourage us to, to follow in those ways. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you made it very clear that you were good news to a world that was so full of bad news. And our world continues to be filled with daily, almost moment by moment, bad news. And into this world, you continue to say, the good news has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you're at work. Uh, you're at work, you are still uh, doing the things that only you can do. Lord, into very hard things like Afghanistan, we know and trust that you will work through your church, you will work through your people to minister in those very hard places, to bring good news even on the hardest and darkest of days. And Lord, we pray that we know that we, you also want to do the same through our lives, in our ordinary spaces. You want us to be good news to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our fellow students, to our relatives. And Lord, we know that we've tried before and we've failed. <laughs> so we want to try again, but in your power and in your strength, believing that you are the good news in us and that you will do it. So as we pray, I want to invite you to respond in one of two ways. Let me ask you first, have you repented and believed the good news? Is there a time in your life when you've actually said, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the good news. He's the best news we have. He's the best hope. I want to put my trust in him. Uh, if you've done that, that's great. If you've never done that, you can do it today. You can do it right now. Say, Jesus, I receive your good news. I believe, I wanna walk in your ways. The second thing is if you've already committed to the ways of Jesus with your life, will you commit again today to being good news to someone you know this week? Ask God to give you a name, ask God to give you a person, a, a, a face or a situation where you can be good news. Think about that person right now this week or that situation and say, Lord, I commit to being good news into this situation or this person's life this week.
If you've done either of those two things, I want to invite you to please share that with one of us. Pastors will be here or at the connecting point. One of us will be available. Let us know if you receive the good news for the first time today. We want to pray with you and celebrate that with you. If you're committing to being good news, share that with someone to hold yourself accountable and to pray with you to believe that God will do it. So Lord, we do thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you want to do great things in our day, in a day that is difficult, in a day that is hard, in a day that is filled with bad news. You want to remind us that you are good news and the good news wins out, that your good news outweighs the bad and that we can be good news to some people around us. We trust that you will do this by your power, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name.